You're listening to DevOps and Docker Talk, and I'm your host, Brett Fisher. These are edited audio-only versions of my YouTube live show that you can join every Thursday at brett.live. This podcast is sponsored by my Patreon members. I'd like to thank all the paid supporters that make this show possible. You can get more info and follow my updates on all the content and open source I'm creating at patreon.com slash brettfisher. Oh, man. We got a show today. <laughs> Docker couldn't have given us a better topic to talk about this week. Uh, changing the game for all of us who were used to free software. Hi, I'm, I'm Brett. This is my show. I'm here on Thursdays. Sometimes I have friends. Sometimes I don't. And this week, I've invited you, a lot of you, you've probably seen me spamming the internet for a couple of days to talk about this topic. There was a little bit of announcement this week from Docker basically saying that Docker Desktop the, the licensing of it is changing and that if you're in a larger organization, we'll get into all of what larger means, but if you're in a larger organization, you're now obligated legally to pay at least $5 a month per person who's using it. And that's it. But there is so much into that. Like that there's a lot of stuff and there's tons of questions. So we're going to get into it. I actually have a topic list. Four main things we're going to get into today. What are the changes? What's changed? What's not? What is still free and not bound by any sort of obligation to pay Docker? What does Docker Desktop even do over just installing the Docker command line in like a Linux VM or something? And then what are the alternatives if you're going to be forced into not being able to pay for Docker in any way and you are working on commercial stuff in containers for a company that meets the requirements, what are your options? And we're going to get into all that. Okay. Thank you so much to you patrons of the show. You're the ones that encourage me every time I see the coffee payments coming in and, and the new subscriptions. Uh, I really appreciate the patron support. Uh, you're supporting this show as well as all my open source and GitHub, of which I actually just recently counted dozens of repos because I was updating them all for ARM support on the Apple M1. And please, those of you that, that understand the struggle of making content on the internet, if you could rate that podcast in your podcast player, that would be super dope because there's a thing with podcasts where if three people downvote my podcast, one one bad podcast, they just didn't like it. So they went in and would give it a one star. Suddenly you're no longer recommended to a bunch of people that might, might enjoy a lot of the episodes. So not every episode is amazing and perfect. I totally get that. Thank you for those of you that are willing to give a little love to those of us working hard to make content for you. So we're here to talk about Docker Desktop. I'm excited. Can you tell? I'm excited to talk about it because it's caused, I'm not going to say a controversy. I don't think it's that level of drama, like really, but it's caused a discussion online about something that we all have been taking for granted for seven years out of the eight years of Docker's existence, seven and a half years or whatever. That is, if you're on Mac and Windows and you want to run Linux containers, how do you do that? That's the core thing that Docker Desktop does for you is you need to run Linux stuff and you're on Windows and Mac and you don't want to have to deal with all of the problems of developing inside a VM, which is where we all came from. A lot of us were developing inside VMs. If we were in large enterprises, especially, there was probably a design standard around having a, a VM built maybe with Packer and shipping around OVMs or virtual box machines or Hyper-V machines or whatever and doing development in those. And that sucked. Don't forget about it. It sucked. We don't want to go back there. 
So I'm not going to recommend that solution to you if you're someone who doesn't want to give Docker a, a coffee every month, essentially. But I know that there's all sorts of stuff and requirements. So let's just get into the news. Docker extended their product offerings. This is true. But they buried the lead a little bit, which was for most of us, even though we know Docker, like every SaaS company is putting out new features all the time, that they're going to change the licensing in Docker Desktop, which is effective as of two days ago, where if you're in a company with one of these two requirements, either the organization that you're currently running your containers for is more than 250 people, whatever that organization means, you know, what organ the word organization means, commercial enterprise of more than 250 people, not just 250 people using Docker, but just 250 people, or the company's revenue is 10 million or more annually, I assume in US dollars. If you meet one of those requirements, then you are now obligated by the license you now have to accept when you install Docker Desktop, or if you updated it this week, you saw this little thing, little pop-up. It was basically binding you to a new licensing agreement that says, hey, look, if you're in a really big company and you're not giving Docker any money, we don't like that anymore. We are tired of the free lunch for you, so pay up, which I have lots of opinions on. I absolutely agree. Businesses should pay. People that are making money and doing work on products should at some point be obligated to pay for those. By the way, Docker Desktop has never been fully open source. Parts of it are. It's always been partially closed source. At one time, Docker was actually looking at paid versions of Docker Desktop that had extra features. They actually started doing that this year. There's now some extra features for volume management that are paid only. So they're already starting to do some of that. But now this new license for those of you in those larger companies, you're now in a quandary. You're now having to figure out what do I do about my Docker Desktop? I imagine for a lot of us, we're just going to pay for it. I've been paying for it personally for years because it's $5 and I think it's worth it because it's what I use every day to get my work done. But I also donate to open source. And so I did, I actually paid, started paying for Docker Hub years ago just because I, I wanted, you know, you vote with your dollars. All right. So here's some specific questions. What alternatives do I have in case of new licensing model does not suit me? Any other options except buying? I'm going to get into that. I only have had 48 hours of research into this, but I'm hopefully got some advice for you. Obviously, this has been all over Twitter for the last couple of days. And in the world where we've got so many other bigger things to talk about, uh, there are so many other things going on in the world, but it was nice to take a break for a little bit and actually dive in deep with everyone on uh, Hacker News and on Twitter, just talking about sort of reminiscing how this particular topic that Scott uh, SJ from Docker, the CEO, has announced, it basically has created the discussion around the value of Docker Desktop. What does it do? Why do we need it? Why do we care? Why can't we just replace it with something, some simple little tool like Pod? And I think that's a great conversation to have because I think a lot of us installed it many years ago when it first came out and then have just watched it update, watched it happen and got used to it and totally are fine with all of the advanced functionality that it has built into it. So here's the real quick cliff notes on what happened. They changed the licensing for big business that they need to pay for it. Everyone else still gets it for free. There's a bunch of exceptions here. So one exception is if you are at all related to learning it, or if it's based on training, you are an exception. Your, your situation is an exception, which means if you're taking my courses, if you're giving workshops, if you're at conferences, you can absolutely use Docker Desktop that entire time for free, regardless of who you work for, as long as you're using it for educational learning purposes and not using it to further 
your corporation's agenda. Now, I have specifically gotten confirmation on this from the higher-ups at Docker because I myself am concerned about the licensing of these products getting in the way of learning and education, which is what my whole my life is about. And it's important to me that people are able to use tools, even if they have paid tiers or paid versions, that they have some way to learn that before they're forced to sign a subscription agreement. So they have assured me that these are specifically written into the language so that even if your company isn't going to pay for it and they use containers for business, but if you want to use Docker Desktop to learn it, to learn Docker or Kubernetes in general, and you're, you're in the space of education and learning, you can do this, okay? This was already discussed on Twitter. There's actually someone that has a great concern about going into companies and showing them Docker and then having to figure out how to get people to license it before that happens. Don't worry, it's written in the license. If you need legal to sort of approve it, hopefully they'll see the legalese in there that will say, yes, we can install this as long as it's just for learning. So obviously this is not, this license doesn't talk about like how many machines can you have it on? What types of machines or what is an account? But I will loosely say that based on what I've read in this FAQ, all these links, by the way, are down in the description. So in this FAQ, in the legalese, the best that I can determine is that you are not limited to however many machines you want to put it on. An account is a human. And if there are occasions where you need robot accounts, like a lot of us have auto CI building things, those need licenses as well. And quite frankly, I think those usually needed some sort of subscription anyway to get around the Docker Hub limits if you were going to be pushing images and pulling them on the regular. So those limits kind of forced a lot of us to either pay for something or leave Hub. But a lot of us might have used like a different registry while still using Docker Desktop, right? So we were using Docker Desktop and maybe we shifted to GitHub or Quay or Key or AWS's free alternative or whatever our cloud of choice for registries. So now this is, again, Docker doubling down and saying, hey, we've added so many new features and we're going to keep adding more. So we think it's, it's finally time for enterprises to start paying for Docker Desktop. And they've got a bunch of stuff planned for the rest of this year to add extra features like single sign-on and further features inside of Docker Desktop itself to help organizations deal with the licensing and distribution of this product, okay? So that's all gonna start happening. But I think most of us are in probably one of two boats. I'm gonna guess, those of you out there, and I'll, I can get to specific questions, you're gonna be either someone who does this on your own computer, and so you're trying to figure out hey, if I just use this for open source and it's not really for my company's work, do I need to pay for it? Again, no. Non-commercial open source projects. If you're a volunteer using your spare hours that are not to the commitment of your organization that employs you, then you can still keep using Docker Desktop. Another big question I get also, is this going to be enforced? No. Docker is basically their attitude is we trust our customers and we think that we would rather spend our time adding more value than trying to write some enforcement software that somehow prevents you from doing things unless you prove that it's okay. So uh, this is actually straight from the top. We had a, a little discussion internally. They invited the Docker captains to give feedback before they announced this, and they made changes to this before they announced it based on our feedback. Thanks to Docker for actually allowing us to have a chance to speak for the, on the behalf of the community before they made a big business decision and announced it worldwide. But no, so if you're purely working in open source, you can totally use it. If you're using that open source in your job to get your job done, 
then you're probably going to need to pay a license. So personal use probably falls under that as well. This is sort of a gray area of what is personal use. If I'm personally making money as a moonlighter <laughs> by using Docker, you know, I have to pay for it. But hey, if my kids are running uh, Minecraft in a Java container on my home server, I can probably use Docker Desktop for that for free. So I, th I feel like there's a lot of allowances here. And again, Docker's not going to enforce it. It's, it's an integrity situation. And mostly this is about Docker appealing to those companies where they got 3,000 developers all using Docker Desktop every day, and none of them are paying Docker a cent. That's really what this is about, is Docker trying to make a sustainable business model around it, gigantic companies trying to use their product to get their company's job done every day that aren't paying Docker a dime for it. Um, at least that's the, the kind of the sense I get from the discussions internally and uh, the community at large. The other thing they're doing is they're releasing a top tier new product called Business. Personally, I would say probably ignore this price. It's probably negotiated like you contact sales, but it's got a whole bunch of things for enterprises like bulk management of users and single sign-on and SAML and all that stuff. This one right here, we don't really know what this is yet, this image access management, but I, I feel like this is going to be whatever it's going to be. I don't have any insider information, but when that happens, that's going to be a significant advancement in Docker Hub allowing more granular policies, which I, I do think it needs for accessing and controlling images. So yeah, that's kind of the first line, the desktop license changes. Okay, so what is still free? I'm gonna to go to that next. What exactly is free and not affected by this and what is actually in Docker, right? That'll be the next step. It's like, what is in Docker Desktop and why do we care about the product itself? What, what do we not get if we don't use Docker Desktop? We all have a grace period of, uh, to the end of the year to get our affairs in order with our organization and start paying Docker for it. Technically, the license we all bound to is two days ago. They made an update at the same time. It's not an accident. They provided an update that we all applied and basically forced us to either accept it or quit Docker Desktop forever. And I'm imagining almost all of us accepted it, which means that we have now six months, or not six months, it's not even that, four months to get our affairs in order and pay Docker or we will be outside of the legal limits of this license. We can talk, I, I don't want to get too far into the woulda, shoulda, coulda, like, why didn't they charge from the start? There's actually a pretty good, interesting discussion that Victor Farsik, who's on chat, and I were having on Twitter. My, my opinion on this is that, you know, in 2017, when Docker Desktop was announced, and even Docker Toolbox before that in 2015, it wasn't a lot of features, wasn't a lot of add, added value there. So I would have said that asking people to pay for it would have probably completely failed, and the product wouldn't even exist today. Because if you had to pay for it, and it didn't really do much back in the day, other than just provide the basics of what VirtualBox would do by bind mounting in your stuff and then bind and then mounting a port and then, and that was it. We didn't have a GUI. We didn't have all these other things. We had KiteMatic, but we go back then. We we from the start. Uh, uh, my theory is is that one, it's like Monday morning quarterbacking. We you know 2017 Docker thought that like everyone else that all the money was in servers and orchestration and and maybe in Hub or in things like Docker Cloud that they're experimenting with services, right? Not so much software on our desktop. No one really was thinking that Docker, software on the Docker desktop was really going to do that. I was actually part of an internal test and looking at making content for something they call a Docker Desktop Enterprise Edition, which like three years ago was a thing. And it was going to be an upgraded version of Docker Desktop that was only available to Docker Enterprise customers. None of that stuff exists anymore. All that's been sold off from Docker to Mirantis as of a, almost two years ago. But there was an attempt to do this many years ago, and 
it didn't really get a lot of traction before the company had to shift focus and split and no longer do enterprise software. So uh, Docker has been thinking about this probably ongoing for at least four years about how do they add extra value on top of the regular free Docker stuff and then get paid for it in Docker desktop. So this is the actual time they finally have doubled down and committed on it. And this is what we're getting today. We're getting this new Docker desktop as a part of, sub, of a subscription. If, and th we don't necessarily have to sign up for the subscription. This is what I'm not actually sure about. I didn't get an answer to. One question was, are we going to be forced to sign into Docker desktop in order to use it? Or is it still going to be where I can sort of just install it and be anonymous and, and still just use it without having to sign in and be a part of a free subscription. I don't really know that yet. I'll probably get more details and put it on Twitter or something like that once I get the answers. And there might be someone in chat that actually can speak to that officially. But what is still free? So I'm gonna just pull up some stuff real quick. So the things that are still free are all of the binaries that we think about, we think about Docker Engine, the Docker Daemon, the Docker Command Line, the Docker Compose, Build Kit, all the kits, right? All the libraries and open source stuff, anything that's open source is still completely free. If you're on Linux, none of this change applies to you because all the tools you use on your local machine don't include Docker Desktop because until sadly, there's still no Docker Desktop for Linux. So if you're on Linux as your desktop, this is a non-event for you. If you're on Mac and Windows and you installed Docker Desktop to simplify the management of a Linux VM and running of your containers and all the things that go along with that, that's where this license change affects you if you're in one of these larger companies that they're targeting. So I would say that anything open source, still open source. They have not taken any open source and suddenly made it paid or closed source. They haven't changed the licensing of open source, to my knowledge, in any way. The product Docker desktop that we're all, we've all been installing is a mix of open source and closed source software. That, that part that's closed source is really the bundled product of what they're changing the license to. If we start to get the technicals of what in Docker Desktop is free, well, technically Docker Desktop, if it installs these tools for you, then they're no longer completely free for all users in all occasions. If, but if you go and do a brew install Docker on Mac, or if you download the Docker EE binary from Microsoft, which you can technically run directly on Windows, without needing Docker Desktop at all, these things are not bound by this new Docker Desktop licensing agreement. So really this licensing agreement is focused on the Docker Desktop mega tool that combines a whole lot of other stuff in there. So hopefully that answers that question. Everything that was open source is staying open source. So it only applies to the version that came out. This applies to any version after coming out on two days ago, the 31st of, of August. But the reality is, I mean, who, who's gonna ride on 3.6, right? The minute we get the new Mac version and the new Windows version, like these products aren't gonna probably work. You're not gonna be able to install old versions and they work forever. Docker, since it's so low level in the operating system and it does so many things, including VPN kit and data kit and hyper kit, all these things change usually with each major OS release. So if you're someone who's trying to stay on 3.6 and never sign this license agreement, that's fine. But you can expect probably by the end of the year that it will be some sort of broken state. But if you don't upgrade your OS and then you don't upgrade Docker, then sure, you can keep doing that forever. Your mileage may vary, right? So 
in that case, if you're someone that's like that, and you're so determined to not sign this agreement or not be a part of this, then probably you should just start shifting to an alternative, um, which is going to be the rest of this conversation after we get through some of the licensing questions. We're going to talk all about alternatives and uh, maybe even try a demo or two. Yes, so Docker Desktop 4, I just updated two days ago, and it is indeed 4.0.0, my version of Docker Desktop. Once I got this prompt, right, you, if you have seen this screen, you're on 4.0 this week. It's only two days old, but if you have not seen this screen and you have not tried to update, you will still be on the 3 branch, and you haven't accepted this license agreement. Although I suspect, this is total speculation, but even if you're trying to avoid this license somehow, just by having an account on Docker Hub and using Docker Hub, I somehow feel like eventually they're going to circle the loop on that and that, yeah, you're still somehow going to be looped into this overall subscription license if you have a Docker subscription at all, including the free plan. Because if we go back, if we go back here, there's the personal free plan. They used to just call it free, I think, but it's now just called personal. And that allows you to use Docker Desktop for all those occasions that you don't need to pay for it. And this isn't going to limit you to installing it on a machine. You can still install it on a business machine, but you maybe only use it after hours for personal open source you know, contributions that... Because I, I know a couple of people that are in consulting companies that the company itself doesn't support their open source work or something like being a speaker at conferences. And so that person in speaking at conferences or purely working on open source in their off hours that the company isn't really supporting them working on business time, that you could argue that's allowed and you can still use the personal plan and be perfectly legal with Docker Desktop. Great question. Does the company have to pay for my license or can I just pay for my own work? Either way, it does not matter. It doesn't matter how the license happened. It's more that there is an, a license accounted to your, like the, the user that you're logging into should be the one licensed to Docker Desktop, regardless of whether that's a personal account or a business account. If you end up having multiple accounts, like I know people that have personal and business accounts, I would say that if you're, I'm, again, I'm not a lawyer, but the intent here with Docker is not to make this a huge legal thing where all of your accounts have to be licensed. So I would think that if you even went and asked or looked at the fine print, that if you had a personal license that you did license, and your, but your company didn't pay for it, that you could log in and out of various business and personal accounts and you might be okay. I think that someone at Docker might disagree with me on that and might say, if your business is using it, they should probably pay for an account. But there's nothing that I've seen in the licensing that says like the pro account is somehow limited in who can you like how you can use it. You can see the limits right there. You're limited to 5,000 image pulls a day. You're limited to five concurrent builds. Those are the limits, not necessarily that the pro account only works if you're in a business of this size or the pro account only works if you're logged in with that account at that moment. I'm not sure that I've not seen anything like that in the stuff, right? So like I'm, I'm a consultant that works for many companies. And so and part of the discussion I had with them internally, like I'm licensed by, I'm licensed by, for me, if I'm the only one using Docker desktop and I'm using it in various companies, I don't, they don't have to also pay for an, another license for me. I'm licensed, right? It covers me as a user across all the machines I might have, regardless of who owns those machines. Because the thing about this subscription, and you'll, what you'll notice is that this is not called a Docker desktop subscription. This is a Docker subscription. This is a subscription to their entire platform, including benefits in Hub, as well as Docker desktop. I think the intent there that is if everyone in the company is working with Docker, that the company itself would pay for them. But again, you have a four-month grace period to work all this out. But if the company doesn't want to pay for it, then it, all the employees have a decision to make. Either 
the company's going to lay down the rule and say, you can't install Docker desktop. Or developers might just have a corporate credit card and just pay for it individually. <laughs> or just pay for it out of their own personal pocket. I mean, that, that's what I do. I, I, can, I am lucky enough to be able to afford $5 a month for a very important developer tool for me. And I pay for it once per year. If I pay for it monthly, the licensing does change, right? $7 a month if I pay monthly. I choose to pay annually, so I pay for the pro account. And I work with dozens of companies. And it's legal. All right, ASO is asking, uh, this is what we're going to be talking about next. This is what a large portion of the rest of the show is going to be about is, um, any thoughts on installing the CLI only? Not sure if there's any good links on how to do that. Can't easily see how to configure, share a drive, or mount into the container. So yeah, you can install the CLI, but where's your daemon going to run? Your daemon's going to have to run in Linux. So you're going to have to have a VM somewhere, whether it's on your machine or at a remote machine or somewhere, that you then connect to that through sockets or likely TCP ports, which are then a security concern because if you'd, you'd want to authenticate the TCP port, there's a lot of subtle complexity that Docker Desktop does for you that we don't realize. And I think a lot of us, because we haven't had to do this manually, we don't realize so many of the things that Docker Desktop does for us. We're going to get into that. <laughs> I'm going to assume I'm going to assume that you're trying to be rhetorical, but yes, absolutely. There is definitely a lot of work. And I don't know if you've noticed, but over the last year and a half, Docker Desktop has rapidly been much faster in their rapid release cycle of updating and fixing bugs and adding new features way more than in the previous few years. Um, the team has worked uh, really hard to optimize their workflow, automate all the things and be able to deploy more software and I know they've got tons of new ideas they're working on for adding new functionality. So we'll see what, which of those, with the latest one being dev environments, right? Dev environments was the thing we talked about it recently this year. Uh, dev environments allows you to share your containers as well as compose files throughout your team. And there's more coming on that. I think they're going to announce some new stuff hopefully later this year on that. So we'll have to see. How does this change apply in Linux? There's no Docker desktop, only the engine and CLI. Can you please clarify? I did state that, state that earlier. Uh, if you're on Linux, none of this matters to you. This is only going to affect people on Docker desktop. None of the open source products have changed their licensing. So Docker desktop engine, the CLI, Docker Compose, Docker Compose V2, BuildKit, all those things are all still open source and distributed through your normal Linux distribution processes. This has nothing to do with servers or installing stuff on servers. This is about developer tooling. Again, Docker, the company, is focused on developer tooling. They now have this subscription to focus on developer solving developer problems, mostly on their local machine, but also in the cloud with SaaS features. Now we get the security scanning, we get the image storage, the image pull limits, the, the automated builds, the multiple automated simultaneous builds in Docker Hub. All those things are a part of the subscription that you get when you pay for Docker desktop as well as Docker. That's why it's not called a Docker desktop subscription because it's way more than that. Yeah, Chris is talking about Docker CE. So yeah, I don't know, I think it's doc actually technically called Docker CE anymore, but it might still be in some package managers. There is, it's just basically the Docker engine. Like they don't, like the Docker EE or something. There's this whole, there was a change when Docker split around the licensing of the Docker itself. And so basically the Docker engine on Linux there's only one of them. <laughs> and so we don't have, uh, that I'm aware of, there's no EE anymore for Linux. Like it's just a single engine. It's the same one everywhere. They don't even have a, an edge release anymore, but I could be wrong. So WSL2, yeah. So WSL2, most of us are going to be using Docker Desktop because that's the easy way to set it up. I'm going to talk to talk to about that a little bit. We've got some blog articles we're going to look through. Crazy Max is pointing out that there is a Mac homebrew install 
but it's just the CLI because again, you need the engine and the engine has to run on Linux. Docker engine cannot run on Mac. There's no Darwin BSD-based engine that runs on a Mac natively, which is why we have to have Docker desktop in the first place to run that Linux VM. One of the questions I asked myself was, well, in 2021, how hard is it to install a Docker, you know, a, a Linux VM, a very minimal VM that I never have to update? It just kind of auto updates and there's nothing installed in it other than Docker. It's tiny, it's a super minimal thing like Linux Kit, which is what Docker desktop gives us. So this is a good point at which I'm going to pause and I'm going to talk to you about everything that is in Docker. So we're going to get to this which um, Joe Beta, one of the co-founders of the Kubernetes project, <laughs> anyone planning on OpenMobi, great discussion. We all kind of predicted it was going to happen. I'm glad he wasn't the one that started it, but I'm glad that we're getting some people that think about this stuff in the ecosystem and understand the history and where this all came from and built these tools that we're using. I'm glad those people, a lot of them are w weighing in on Twitter and other social media, but I'm kind of focused on Twitter. We're going to get into that. Before we get there, I started to share a tweet out of all the things that I could think off the top of my head are in Docker Desktop. What does it do for you besides just run a VM and connect a CLI to the Docker engine? It's gotta be more than that. It turns out it's way more than that. And without even doing any research, this is what I could remember off the top of my head. <laughs> and it's a long list. So I'm gonna give you the list in chat and you can go and look at this list yourself. But just off the top of my head, I'm just gonna go rapidly through this list. It installs and updates many tools all at the same time. It sets up a Linux kit mini VM, very small, very lightweight, using HyperKit on Mac and then WSL2 on Windows. They both basically do the exact same thing. They act the same way, but the technologies that implement them are totally different. The kernels are totally different. And so they integrate those. It's not a full Linux VM that you have to patch. Again, Docker makes it very minimal so that they auto patch it during their updates when they release them. It installs CLI tools, including Docker Compose, Hub Tool, Docker Scan, Docker Compose V2, Docker BuildX. It auto enables Docker Build Kit engine, which is you use with Docker BuildX. It auto enables that, which isn't enabled by default if you just install Docker Engine. It does local host TCP and UDP port mapping from the VM to the host. And we all know about the little menu bar for settings and service management and managing resources and all that stuff. It now gives you a desktop GUI for managing objects, including volume cleanup and pruning, starting and stopping compose files. It has this new thing called dev environments, which is like its whole separate topic of features that don't exist outside of Docker Desktop. VPN kit, which is a surprising complexity if you've ever tried to do this without it. If you try to use a VM with your corporate VPNs, they don't always work or they have to have weird workarounds or certain startup orders. And so VPN kit makes that just work 99.9% .9 of the time out of the box, regardless of your VPN or what started first or it just works. Bind mounting your files and allowing you different driver options for ensuring good performance on that or trying to improve performance for bind mounts. Adding Kubernetes on top of it and allowing you to have a one bit one button disabling or enabling of Kubernetes. And again, the, the key here is that Kubernetes is running on top of the Docker engine, so it's not adding yet another container runtime on your system. It's optimized by using the same Docker image cache, the same Docker engine, 
So it's more of a, an optimization. If you're someone who uses Docker usually, but sometimes Kubernetes, it's really kind of the best way to do it. It also has a Kubernetes load balancer built in, which makes it really easy to publish your services in Kubernetes for using locally. I could just go on and on. It stores your registry auth in your machine's host OS encrypted security store. So if I'm on Windows, it uses the Windows creds. If it's on Mac, it uses Keychain. If it's on Linux, but if it was on Linux, it would use the Linux system. It doesn't store them as plain text inside of the Docker config JSON, which is what the Docker daemon does when you install it in Linux by default. It now runs on Apple M1, which it turns out that there's lots of other tools out there that don't yet work on M1. It has outbound proxy support in case you're on corporate proxies. It has a route from the containers to go all the way back to the host using the common DNS name host.docker.internal. So in case you ever need to run something in a container that needs to access a service on your host machine on TCP, that works. It now has Windows 11 container GUI support as well as Mac OS, X11 and Wayland GUI support in case you want to run GUI containers. Uh, it integrates with VS Code as well as other IDEs for automatic management of containers and Compose as well as Kubernetes inside of IDEs. It does SSH agent forwarding so that when you do Docker builds with BuildKit, you can bring in your keys that are in SSS agent really easily and automatically without having to customize a bunch of other hacks. And it also sets up QEMU, which is a processor platform emulator so that you can build or run other platforms on your current platform. So now you can run ARM stuff on your Intel Mac or Windows machine. You can build x86 stuff on an Apple M1, which is the reverse of that. You can do that all out of the box. So that's a huge list. I'm sure there's more. Tell me what I, what I missed in chat. But I just want to remind us, that's what Docker Desktop is, right? Not just Docker Daemon. All right. I sound like I'm trying to be a salesman there, but I'm not. I'm really, I'm just... Someone who uses Docker Desktop every day and appreciates the simplicity of what it does for me. So thanks to the Docker team for providing me four free years of access to it. And I look forward to all the new features on that. Let's go to the last topic. But before we get to the local alts and me showing you some examples and demos, let me make sure that we've got all the Twitter questions handled. There's a lot of chat today. So if I miss your question, please don't hesitate to repeat it. If I missed it, I will, I will get back to it. Yeah, Nacho Libre. Uh, I'm worried that this is going to be for stuff like licensing servers. Yeah, I can't speak for Docker, right? I am not an official representative in any way, but I have not seen any signs that Docker has ever desired to change the licensing on their, their open source components. Again, Docker didn't change any open source. All they did was take their private source tool that you were always bound to a, a licensing agreement of Docker Desktop. You, that They're just changing that existing licensing that you were already agreeing to for Docker Desktop to now include this new addendums to it. So they didn't go and change the, the Apache licenses on any of the open source stuff. I don't see that they will ever do that. Usually what they've done is embrace and extend, right? So they will take the open source that they've built, they wrap that up with other closed source, and then they add value and then pay, make that a, a paid offering. That's essentially what Docker Hub is. Docker Hub is a paid alternative to the free Docker distribution or Docker registry. So for years, Docker Hub has offered a paid feature that is embracing and extending their open source, that they're not going to change the open source. So I can't speak 100% to any of these things because, again, I who knows the future of Docker? But you know that entire company is full of people focused on open source and loving open source. They're just trying to figure out a business model that will work 
in the current state of things. When people are not used to paying for command line tools and they sold off their enterprise business, so they got to come up with something. I think this is probably the best idea that uh, I've heard so far. I'm sure they can always add more features and add more features to Hub, but they've got this existing product that lots and lots of people are already using. So I don't have a huge issue with it. Has the virtualization got any better on Apple One M1? I can assume I haven't done performance comparisons, but when the next MacBooks come out, when we get the M1X or M2 or whatever that's going to be called, I'm going to double down on more M1s. I've only got one of them today. I'm going to get more of them and I will do more comparisons to let you know. But as far as I can tell, what you maybe Conrad are talking about is running x86 stuff in emulation on M1, which that's probably going to be more related to QEMU performance than it is Apple. Let me know in chat if you're talking more about native ARM on ARM performance, or if you're talking about just running regular x86 containers, x86-64 Intel containers on on M1. Because as far as I know, the native performance is great. So there was a call internally that the captains had with Docker. Now that was probably covered under our NDA somehow, but I don't think, I don't recall a captain there thinking this was a bad plan. All of the captains love Docker, the tooling. They also love working with the Docker employees, the people that are making Docker. They're a great group of people. And they're just trying to make a viable company that's going to be here for another 20, 30 years until we come up with a thing that replaces Docker and makes it irrelevant. And so we all want Docker Inc. to survive because we don't want to live in a world where the Docker products all die and there's no one to work on them and they become, they get bought out by another big enterprise and become a paid feature of some other platform. Like none of us want that. But Docker started with the original idea of open source. It was a passion project for the team that started it. And they want as much of it to stay open source as possible while also having a viable revenue stream. To be fair, they have been trying lots of things. I think one of the things that we're growing tired of in the community is we're tired of the paid changes because really what we're all just saying is, we want them to find a way, a paid model that that supports 100 employees or more because they only have, they have less than 100 employees to support that ecosystem of an organization to keep making great software for us. That's really what we're all saying. So the people that are complaining out there about the licensing changes and the, why didn't they just do this and bait and switch and all that kind of drama, to me, that really just speaks to the fact that they keep wanting this tooling. They want to use it. They like it. They just don't like the terms of their agreement with this tooling to change. And we all, I think that Docker feels the same way. I'm just going to speak for them, even though I don't know for sure. They probably feel the same way, that they would love to have a model they know that works, that grows the, the revenue, that is sustainable and can pay for all their previous investments and make them a true profitable company for many years to come. So let's hope this is the last major change like that. And we can all get used to it and we just sort of deal with it. And then we can all put this to, to bed and sort of move on because <laughs> Docker has been looking for good revenue streams for since, since they started taking money a long, long time ago. They were looking for ways to make money and they've tried lots of things. They have not lacked in trying. And so we all want them to win because I think you're all here because you like these tools and you want them to continue to exist. They obviously can't exist for free forever. Someone's going to have to pay for them, whether that's paid developers that work on open source or it's a company that manages it directly. Let's get into the alternatives. Thank you all for the great questions. Where does it take to go back to VMs? A lot of people are asking that, and, and it's a legitimate question. I want to have that discussion. I think that we should understand not just what Docker Desktop does, but what are the alternatives and how bad is it? The Docker repo still have stable and edge branch? Interesting. 
far as I know, the edge doesn't exist anymore, but I'll check that out. Make sure that I'm uh, correct on my assumptions. The creators. Right, because Docker wasn't created out of pure open source with people just banding together and creating a thing, right? That never, that never happened. Um, technically, you know, Docker, the container world already existed. Containers were a thing, but Docker made it super easy. It was a company-based backing thing, and the whole ecosystem would have to completely change for us to have these similar tools or same tools without any major corporate sponsor. Let's get into the alternates. I've, you've waited enough. It's been an hour. That's way too long to wait for this. I'm, I'm sorry we've had so many questions that I haven't gotten into this. But what I want to go through is we're going to basically talk through Joe's tweet, anyone planning on open Moby. So there, to my knowledge, there is no version of a comparable single product that provides all of this stuff anywhere close to what Docker Desktop does. I just don't know that it exists. There are people making comparisons. There's a, a popular thread on uh, Y Combinator Hacker News that talks about Minikube and that you can use something in Minikube called Docker ENV. So you can technically get Minikube to spit out a Docker environment settings. And this command, if you were using Minikube, and let's just back up a second. Minikube is a Kubernetes VM. It creates virtual machines on Mac and Windows and Linux as well, but Mac and Windows is what we're really focused on here today. And it will create a Kubernetes VM and it can run using many different backends, which means it can run on Hyper-V, VirtualBox, HyperKit, other thing, I, I don't know all of them, maybe QEMU, I'm not sure I'm Not sure about QEMU. But it technically can run Kubernetes on, on top of Docker, and then you can have it spit out the Docker settings that you would then give a local Docker CLI to talk into that Minikube VM Docker engine. However, there's tons of caveats here. So I'm not going to talk about it. There's lots of features missing that you get with Docker Desktop that it doesn't include. But most importantly, it's for running Kubernetes. There is no way that I know of, I tried to look this up, could not find a way to run Minikube for Docker only. Now that could just be a feature someone adds to Minikube and then cool, you've got now a, a very small, tiny fraction of the features, but it does provide you basic Docker command line support for running a managed, we're going to talk about managed versus unmanaged VM, but a VM that's managed for you and updated for you if you want to. And then a local client on your host machine built as a binary on your host OS, because again, that's the difference here too, right? These things are running in Linux, built for Linux, and then on your host, the Docker command line is built for your host machine. And so you could do that. That technically is a way to get Docker. I don't like the fact that it would still be running Kubernetes all the time, even if I don't need it, but that is one way to do it, all right? Go check out, there's a thread in Hacker News, I didn't actually pull it up, but there's a blog article from someone who has intimate knowledge in the Minikube, but they essentially just talk about doing that. And that way you can get the settings to give to your Docker command line tool to tell it how to get into the Docker of Minikube. All right, so that's one thing. Next up, what we're really talking about when we, t when we talk about open Mobi is what we're talking about is a lot of these open source components that are built in the Docker desktop, including Mobi, which is the underpinnings of the Docker engine, the Docker command line, build kit, VPN kit, hyper kit, and a bunch of other stuff that's not in here, which is the closed source part. So there's all that stuff wrapped up in Docker Desktop. If you were to try to combine all this together into a completely open toolkit with an easy installer, easy updating, using Linux kit for the VM to make micro VMs, you can technically do some of that stuff to get today. I haven't found an up-to-date detailed thread with the probably 
half a dozen to a dozen steps to make all that work, but that may be possible. All right. So it's early days. We might see someone pick up that torch and run with it and make an open source project that would use some of the basics of Docker Desktop. Again, it wouldn't probably have a GUI. It wouldn't have all these other things, but it would have at least a command line tool to create a VM, have Docker installed, not have a full-size VM with a full-fledged Ubuntu in there, because I don't want that. I don't want to have to patch my VMs or anything. So we want all that. Akira uh, Suda, one of the big Docker maintainers, yesterday released this great article on Containerd, Lima, and Nerd Control. So I want to get into this for a minute, because this has a lot of potential. For those of you that are simply looking for a similar, what I would say is this is not a similar experience to Docker Desktop. (laughs) But if you're someone who's basically going to be forced into not being able to use Docker Desktop, maybe by corporate policy that doesn't allow you to install it, or you're someone who wants, you don't want all the full featured Docker Desktop stuff and you really just want a a Docker engine or a Container D engine, which is what Docker Desktop relies on, is Container D. He put out a great article on the details of installing Lima, which is which what it does is it creates micro VMs of Linux, and then it installs Container D, which is your container runtime. You need that, and then it adds Nerd Control, which they recently created. I think he was a large part of that Nerd Control or Nerd CTL, what do you want to call it? The Nerd Cuddle, <laughs> maybe we call it Nerd Cuddle, uh, is a command line for Container D that makes it act like Docker. It doesn't mean you can just replace it with the Docker command line, but it does mean that you can do similar commands and just replacing the word Docker with nerd CTL. So that exists separately. You can use this on Linux. So you could have container D and nerd CTL on Linux all day long, right? Now container D, if you didn't know, is the thing that Docker and Docker engine and Docker desktop and all things Docker, they use that to start and manage your container and build your container that's actually used underneath. That is also the now, what I would say is probably becoming the most popular Kubernetes runtime. Now that Docker is no longer being used as much as the container runtime of Kubernetes, this, this runs Containerd, which is also built by the Docker team, an open source container runtime built by the Docker team and the rest of the community. So this new tool uh, came out this year, I believe, and at least I only heard about it this year. I'm not sure its origin. But anyway, it has same UI UX as Docker, uh, supports Docker Compose, supports rootless mode, all these cool things, including some extra features that Docker doesn't support, like lazy pulling things and encrypted images in case you want to check out encrypted images on servers. But anyway, so this, this tutorial goes through the step-by-step of getting that set up, running Lima to create your own little virtual machine locally on, and this is Mac only. Sorry, I should have led with this. This is only Mac. Because right now, Macs and Windows with WSL2 are so different that it would, it's going to be a lot of work for someone to make one tool that works on both. Never mind ARM. Just including ARM in that is, a, again, another added complexity that Docker Desktop removes for us. So you got Lima as the virtual machine manager. And I'll just show you real quick. If you just do Lima. Lima control is the command line. Once you get it installed on Mac, this is the command line that manages the VM itself. And then if I started my Lima machine and then I just typed Lima, it would actually give me a shell right in there. So I can type Lima space nerd control run some container. And that's basically the replacement for a Docker command. 
It also works with, I suppose, with uh, TCP mounts, file mounts, all those things. So give that a shot. I have had maybe one hour with this tool. I have had very little experience, but it's a pretty interesting experiment in basically avoiding the Docker daemon altogether, as well as the Docker command line. Notice that you don't have to do that. This this change isn't about avoiding Docker altogether. It's just, this is an alternative. So definitely it's a lot of steps, getting it installed, getting it started, running an, you know, running an image. This is what it would uh, look like to build an image with that command line. This is what it would look like to run that image in a container. It can't run on low ports. It has some limitations. It can't run on port 80. That's why, by the way, Docker Desktop requires local administrative rights because it uses protected ports that are lower than 1024. It uses, you can publish things on port 80, which requires root access. That's one of the reasons I think that Docker needs the, the services that it does. By the way, I didn't know this, but they, he mentions that there's Rancher Desktop, right? Now, Rancher Desktop is just for Kubernetes. It doesn't really provide a Docker replacement. It's not for Docker and Docker Compose. It's just for running Kubernetes. So it's a different use case altogether. I'm not going to go into that, but you've heard me mention it recently, Docker Desktop. You know, there's this Rancher Desktop now, and it's pretty neat. It allows you to switch versions of, of Kubernetes. It, it runs as a little GUI in your menu bar, so you can start and stop it. It allows you to change your context. So if you just need Kubernetes and you don't care about Docker at all, Rancher Desktop is a pretty neat alternative, and it's really new early days, but it runs... An electron-based GUI, you can actually see it down here. So he talks about that, and that's a great point. He's saying that, I don't know if it's Lima that's, yeah, I think it's Lima that they use inside of Rancher Desktop to do this. So anyway, go check that out if you're on Mac. Now, what about Windows people? Let's go over to this great Dev2 article from someone named Jonathan Bowman, who I pinged in Twitter about this, so hopefully we'll get some traction. Let's talk about Windows. All right, so I put the link in chat. Jonathan made this great article of the, an experiment, which I was loosely aware of. There are ways to run the Docker engine on Windows. So let's talk about two scenarios for Windows, because Windows is a special case. Windows has two different Docker runtimes. They have the Docker runtime that runs natively on Windows, that runs Windows containers. Now, there's other articles out there that we're not going to talk about too much today because th that's obviously a much smaller audience than people who want to run Linux containers. But if you just want to run Windows containers, you can technically get away with that by creating a service, a Windows service that runs the Docker D.exe daemon, as well as the other binaries that it needs, and then the Docker.exe CLI, and only supporting Windows containers as process-based containers. I've seen ways to do that. I did not prepare that article for today because we're really focused on Linux containers on Windows and Mac. But if you're interested in that, you can completely remove everything else from the equation. You don't even need a WSL2 or Linux or anything if you only want to run Windows containers. However, most of us also need Windows containers. So this article is specifically around what if you don't or can't use Docker Desktop, the full MSI install with all the features, and you have WSL2, and you can install Docker in WSL2, because again, WSL2 is a full Linux kernel, so we can technically install Linux in there with apt or yum or whatever your WSL2 of choice is. But what are the steps to get things like bind mounting of code, getting ports to work with localhost, making sure that it works in all your WSL2 virtual machines and across all the, the tools like Visual Studio Code? And well, it turns out, it's a lot. So 
if you wanted an example of maybe some of the value that Docker Desktop provides you, just walk through this article of which I couldn't even finish reading. And kudos to Jonathan for detailing this in such verbosity, verbosity, if that's even a word. So you don't want to use Docker Desktop. It talks about Podman. Obviously, you can use Podman getting in WSL2, but that's not the same thing. Podman is not a replacement for everything Docker does. It's an alternative with a subset of features. And maybe it has some unique features as well. It does some pretty neat things that Docker does not do. But it's not the same thing. It's not a true Docker replacement for a lot of people. But he talks about WSL2. He says, you got to run WSL2, not 1, because 2 is where you get the full Linux kernel. And then you're going to have to pick your install, your Linux distro. A Docker desktop picks one for you if you want, but here you have to pick one, go manually install it on Windows. Then you have to configure a non-root user. Then you have to go through making sure that non-root user can have sudo access so it can get at, to access in root. Go through all these different settings, setting the default user up. Then if you have, it talks about networking issues if you have them in case you need to troubleshoot that. Sorry, I've, I got a jet running overhead. And then you've got to do the Docker install. So you have to do, you basically have to follow the Docker install stuff in the Docker docs for installing Docker on Linux. So you got to remove anything that's incompatible. You've got to install the prereqs and you keep going down and eventually you're installing Docker, you're creating the Docker group, you're creating a common ID. This is a problem if you're going to have a lot of different Linux distros that you want to use. You want to have all of them using like the same ID so they all match with file permissions. So you've got to work out that problem because one of the things Docker does for you is it's, it sort of encapsulates the permissions a little bit so that you don't have to worry about so many of the permission conflicts between files when you're doing development in Docker. Then you have to configure the Docker daemon to work with those shared permissions and the socket. Then you have to manually launch the, the daemon. Uh, you need to change the log the script that launches the daemon. You need to also have passwordless launch of the daemon, so you've got to make that change. Someone could probably script a lot of this stuff, by the way. like I could see someone making an automated script to do a lot of this on Windows. Then you have to worry about how do you get the socket connected so that you can use the Docker command line to talk to the Docker engine. And then you have to run it from Windows, which is across that OS boundary. And how do you make that work? It talks about file performance a little bit, like bind mounting files from the Windows file system into the Linux file system. Whew, it's a lot. Okay, so there's some example scripts at the bottom, of which maybe some of those will maybe automate part of that. You know, I only spent a few hours searching, but what I did was I, I went out specifically searching for alternatives. I didn't like really search for Docker desktop alternatives. What I was looking for was ways to run Docker on Linux and Mac. And I feel like between that, those two options, the Lima option, this Docker manual WSL2 install option, the Minikube option, I guess, yeah, I guess we'll just consider that an option, even though it's not the way I'd like it. It's an option. And then I feel like those are the three real viable solutions that meet some basic requirements. Obviously, you can use vagrant and create v you can use multipass right i've been a big fan of multipass for windows and mac to create full linux vms but one of the things i'm trying to get you away from here is feeling the need that you have to go manage a vm now and patch it and replace it and update it all the time we left that that with vagrant vagrant was the days of a full-fledged vm it's got a, a gig plus of file storage it needs a bunch of services running but then you got to install docker manually and keep that up to date manually I, I don't want to go back to that world. And so if I was to be forced to replace Docker Desktop, I don't look at multipass or Vagrant as really a viable option at this time because that's me basically managing a VM again. 
and then having to figure out its own inconsistencies, really, with how it manages file bind mounts and the performance of those and how it mounts ports, how it publishes ports, and how do I get to those from my host machine, all those concerns. There's a lot of those other tools that we talk about a lot on this channel that I'm not mentioning today because they're really just running a VM and installing Docker on it and then doing work in the VM. And we all know we can do that. We've been able to do that for many years, decades. And I'm not looking at those. I'm looking at these very minimal, slim VM, automatically replaced or updated VMs that I don't have to manage the Docker install or the versions. Everything's up to date. That's kind of what we're looking for. All right. I think I've got most of that worked out. That's what I wanted to cover today. So if you have any other questions, feel free to ask them in chat. I'll hang around for a little bit to see if we can shore up any of the last remaining questions. If I didn't get to your question, please re-ask it because I may have missed it through some of the chat. For fraud, no, you don't pay for performance with Docker. There, and again, Docker, except for one or two very small features in the GUI, Docker desktop, the personal plan, which is free, and Docker desktop, a part of the Docker subscription, paid plans, operates exactly the same way. There are a few things on limits, like limits of hub and the SaaS limits that come into play. And then there's a couple of features in Docker desktop, like volume management that are only for paid plans. And if you haven't seen it while we're sitting here, I'll just show you. So this is the Docker desktop GUI. One of the things it now has is you can do cleanup. So it, it provides like unused use, stuff like that. It has, it allows me to see the size of my big images and my big volumes volume management, where it's finding my local volumes and I can sort by size of how big they are. In the images, I can actually see my remote repositories and I can pull them. So based on my login, I can now uh, see those images and pull them. So these are all relatively new features in the GUI that integrate with Docker Hub. And a few of them are paid features. I don't actually know, because I pay for it, if I logged out, yeah. Okay. So see, I if I'm logged out, I can't see anything about the remote repositories. Let's see if I don't see anything over here under volumes. Okay. So I still see the volume support. I still see the cleanup. So I guess it's really just remote repositories that I don't get unless I, well, then again, it says it just, it says log in. So I, I'm not actually sure. I thought that there were some features in here that you had to pay for, but it at least is showing me all that same stuff. Anyway, any other questions? Is there any work around, uh, work around to run Containerd on OS X. No, because you, you can't run, there is no container daemon that works on the OS 11 now of the Mac OS kernel. So the, the Darwin kernel does not support, well, it may support, but there is no, no one has built a container engine that runs on the Mac kernel and that will build Mac images. That would really be a cool thing, but it would probably require the Docker team worked with the Linux kernel team to make the Linux kernel Docker daemon. The Microsoft or the the yeah, the Microsoft team at Windows worked with the Docker team to make the Docker daemon run Windows containers on Windows server. So those teams had to work together. They had to change things in the kernel and adapt to make this all work. So my my assumption is if we were to ever have a container D run on Mac natively without any QEMU Linux VM or anything like that, we would require someone, some team to work with Apple and their kernel team to make that whole thing work. The other thing that, that is, is that's totally different than a Linux container, right? So that container D as an engine on any OS 
the only way that I would ever support a Linux container outside of a Linux kernel is if you're doing some sort of kernel emulation or something like that, which is a VM. I think that's one of the things here is like there's so much complexity going on. There's so many tools and different layers of abstraction here. that Some of us, I, you know, I get confused about exactly what's running where and what are the limitations of that or why is it running like that? And most of us, we're just trying to run Linux stuff, but we're not running on a Linux machine. And that's the complexity. Uh, is cleanup the same as the prune command? Yes, as far as I know. It's, this, it's just a GUI for those that don't want to... Because a lot of people don't know about Docker system prune, Docker image prune. They don't know about those prune commands. So I think it was an attempt at Docker trying to bring more to new people that maybe aren't in the command line as much, as well as giving us a nice GUI for those that like GUI stuff. All right, so I'm going to wrap that up for this week. The way you get notified about all this stuff, by the way, is to jump back to my Patreon channel. I send out a a patron announcement every week when we have guests letting people know who's going to be on the show and when the show's scheduled so that you can plan appropriately. Thanks again to all my patrons for sponsoring the show and the podcast and everything else I do in open source. Ciao. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll see you in the next episode.